Welcome to the Center for a New American Securities NATSEC Women podcast series. Last year, we started a project on getting new audiences to think and talk about issues of gender, inclusivity, and national security. Schedule an event with gender in the title, and you can guarantee it is 95% women talking to other women in the audience about women's issues. So we tried other ways. Some audiences were receptive, some weren't. Some were frustrated we were making a big deal out of a topic they thought was closed. Asked and answered, move on. But among the women we know, it didn't feel nearly as clear cut. So we're bringing you right to the source one-on-one candid conversations with women in national security about their careers, their experience, their advice, and their lessons. Here's their stories. Hi, I'm Lauren DeYoung Shulman here with Laura Rosenberger for our next edition of the CNAS Women in National Security podcast series. Laura, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for being on. Thank you so much for having me. We want to start with what brought you into foreign policy? Uh, How has your career progressed from, I know you started as a presidential management fellow to where you are today, and what were some of the moments that meant most to you along the way? So what brought me into foreign policy and national security is really easy. I was a senior in college on 9-11, and um, like many people of my generation, found that is um, an unbelievably clarifying moment um, of what I wanted to do with the rest of my life, which was to do everything possible to see that that never happened again. And obviously that can mean many different things to different people. Uh, but for me, that meant entering um, a career in foreign policy and, and national security. I did, as you mentioned, enter the State Department as a presidential management fellow. Um, and I ended up, I thought I was going to go in for maybe two to three years, get some experience in government and go back into sort of the nonprofit sector. Ended up absolutely falling in love uh, with working in the government. And I spent 11 years at the State Department and the National Security Council, spending a good chunk of my early time working on the easy problems like North Korea. Korea and its nuclear program. Um, spent some time working on China before then broadening out to focusing on um, sort of the the world and all of its problems as I managed the deputies committee for um, Tony Blinken, who is deputy national security advisor at the time. It's always so hard to decide which were sort of the moments where I felt were the most important in my career. But Uh, Some of the ones that really stand out are um, when President Obama met with uh, Xi Jinping Mm -hmm. right after he had become um, president of China. We arranged a two-day summit out in California, and it was a very unique thing, very small, and I got to help lead a lot of the preparations, Mm -hmm. uh, work with the Chinese on setting things up, prepare everything for the president, and um, be at the summit with the president, um, brief him, um, take part in everything, which was very cool. Um, we can come back later to one of the very gender dynamics of that particular meeting, which were <laughs> yeah. very interesting. Um, so there was there was some high level stuff like that, but there was also um, you know some of the moments where in the heat of the um, the early days of the counter ISIS campaign and helping to organize the various options that were being put before the president. Lauren, I think you and I may have been working together at the time. And the very initial um, intervention that we had militarily was a humanitarian operation to help um, rescue a bunch of uh, Yazidis Yazidis, who had become trapped on Mount Sinjar. And I remember... 
feeling afterwards in the success of that moment um, of tens of thousands of people being saved off that mountain, that this is really, you know, why we do our jobs and, mm-hmm. and slog through all this. So it's just a couple of moments. Um, I, to briefly wrap up who I am, I then left government in mid-2015 to um, uh, advise Hillary Clinton and her campaign um, on foreign policy and, and national security. Uh, it's funny you mentioned the Yazidi moment. I, I have that, that entire sequence resonates with me the exact same way of this was a moment where the entire U.S. government comes together rapidly to be able to confront a incredibly high risk situation. And like it usually doesn't work that way, or at least it doesn't feel like it works that way. And that moment, you, I remember walking away from the situation and thinking, oh, th- this is this is why I came into government, exactly as you said. Uh, it, like, I know some other people that have had similar reactions to that entire sequence, so it's nice to know that it resonates. So y- you talked a little bit about uh, some of the gender dynamics associated with being a woman in foreign policy that have kind of uh, impacted you throughout your career. What do you think, what is the biggest misconception people have about women who work in national security? So I think one of the biggest misconceptions for me is actually that we necessarily think of ourselves as women in national security most of the time. I mean, I think of myself as a national security professional and I do my job and I do it as well as I possibly can. And I do it that way because the issues are so incredibly, incredibly important. Mm -hmm. It's not all that often that I think of myself as a woman in national security. It's only when confronted with things that force me to think of myself as a woman in national security that I suddenly become aware of it. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's one of the biggest misconceptions and one of the things, you know, when when I'm asked by younger women, you know, um, should I worry about being a woman? Does it feel isolated? I mean, to me, if anything, particularly when I was in government, it was amazing to me how little I was actually aware of that most of the time. So you and I have talked about this the shift from being in government to being out of government and how our perceptions of feminism and misogyny and double standards have really evolved a lot in both in terms of how we thought about it both in government as well as out of government. And this is something that I've been thinking a lot about and like did I when I was in government did I miss it? When I was in government did it not exist as much? Was I just so young that it didn't matter? Uh, but I'm curious about your own evolution of thinking on this. Like, how has that your evolution of thinking about those issues changed since you've left government? Yeah, I skipped over the leaving government thing after the campaign. I've now um, I'm now leading a new initiative at a at a think tank. It's called the Alliance for Securing Democracy at the German Marshall Fund. Um, and you know, and it's a wonderful organization. And and I have nothing specific to say about about that. But I do think that um, the transition has been an interesting one, thinking about the gender dynamics of the national security field from in government to the outside government environment. I am much more aware of being a woman in this field um, outside of the walls of government. And I think there may be a couple of things at play on that. Um, The first is that inside government, you have a lot of hierarchy, um, you have a lot of bureaucracy, and you have some pretty clear lines on a lot of things. And some of that can be very annoying and constraining at times, um, but it also helps provide structure to things. And so, for instance, in government, you know, your title matters and it carries a particular weight and it's how people sort of know how to relate to one another. And you're taken seriously largely because of the role that you occupy. Obviously, if you're really bad at it, then that has an impact. But for the most part, it's the position that you occupy um, that's the most significant piece of how people decide to interact with you. 
in the outside space, um, it's a lot more fluid and people are trying to decide how do I relate to you? Are you somebody that needs to matter to me or not? Are you somebody who outranks me or not? And there's a lot of voices, especially um, being a, a Democrat now on the outside, where there's a lot of people who are looking for um, relevance and leadership. I think there is a lot of desire for people to kind of scramble to be the loudest or most heard. And I also think that that's something that probably, um, I don't want to say men do better than women, because I'm not sure that just shouting very loudly and proving how smart one is, is necessarily the best thing to do. But I think there's a behavior that's rewarded, certainly, um, in that environment that is something that men tend to do better than than women do. I think we're less likely to be self-promoting and less likely to um, be trying to prove ourselves all the time in the same way. But that means that sometimes our voices get drowned out. You know, it's interesting that you talk about it that way. That I remember in leaving government, um, one of the things you're not really allowed to do when you're in government is be on social media terribly actively. Uh, like you're not having a Twitter account, you could do, but you can't really talk about government issues. And I remember my my first forays into being on Twitter. Uh, it just felt to me like this big boys club, or even if not a boys club, just like this uh, social circle that I was never going to be able to break into because they were all communicating with one another and promoting one another, and I was sort of off to the side. And the, I hadn't really thought of it as a, you know, how how that is going to impact anybody who's coming out of these sorts of roles and how that impacts gender dynamics until recently. And what is the what is the kind of training that I would give somebody to to go from being in government to being a much more kind of active social promoter. But on that, in terms of in terms of helping people promote their own work, I'm curious, this is often phrased as like a woman's problem. Like what should women be doing to get themselves more noticed? Uh, how should they be changing their behavior? How should they be, uh, you know, get what training should they be getting? Uh, but I think we need to flip the question a lot of ways and ask like, what is it men can do or what should we expect of men in terms of their own behavior to be more hospitable to having more women in the conversation, more women at the top, or even just getting more women in the field altogether? Yeah, I think that that's the right question. It's it, This just can't be um, on women to solve the problem. Um, this has to be um, men playing a role. And I think some of it is, um, you know, I, I've had some incredible, um, mentors and bosses and champions, and many of them have been men. Um, so I think one of the first things is, you know, men need to, um, make sure that they are considering women for positions, um, always. I mean, this can't be an option. And we're at a point now where there are an, there's an incredible bench of smart women in national security, uh, frankly, at all levels. And, um, there should never be a situation in which any job opening, um, is being, uh, considered that doesn't include women, um, who are being, you know, really seriously looked at. Um, it's, um, you know, some of the obvious stuff about, you know, always making sure that women are part of panels, um, no panels, all of that. Um, but it's also about making sure that men are lifting up women's voices. I mean, it goes back to Lauren, what you were saying about the environment on social media in particular, you know, men need to be sure that, you know, t- take a good look at, at whose voices are they, um, amplifying and women need to be just as much a part of that conversation as men. Um, you know, I think women, and we've had a lot of these conversations 
too. Um, women can also play a really important role in amplifying one another. Um, and I think that that is something that we've seen a, a good bit of. Um, but I think it's also about, you know, just thinking about how things unintentionally convey in different settings. So I mentioned earlier the summit between uh, President Obama and President Xi, and I was the only woman who was uh, part of either delegation. And when we were um, putting together the arrangements, one of the things, because this was kind of an informal setting that we discussed was what would be the dress code. And it was decided that the dress code would be jacket, no tie. And I remember um, really wrestling with what in the world that meant for a woman, right? Um, <laughs> because no equivalent. there is really no equivalent. And so just purging things like jacket, no tie as a dress code, mm -hmm. which conveys such a gendered framework to the entire, you know, setting. Um, I think that's also got to be part of the conversation. You know, I think we see so often people discussing uh, whether or not there's a woman on a panel or a woman who's represented on like a media show or, or things like that. Um, and it, one area that it's so hard to dig into is uh, where women are represented inside the walls of government because there's not usually photographs that come out. There's not like a public list that comes out in terms of what women are involved in a meeting. And, you know, I think we've, as you point out, like we've done a good job of policing this on the outside, but on the inside, I think it's something that men can, can play a bit much bigger role in, and women as well in thinking about in all those meetings and all the situations where there's not going to be somebody monitoring them is that how well are they thinking about the balance of who's represented in those sessions? So one last question is, do you think women have to demonstrate their credibility in ways that are different than men? Um, you talked about, you know, when you're in government doing your job well and how, you know, living up to the title that you're given is something that is sort of an assumed way of being able to combat gender imbalances. But what's your experience been either both inside and out of government of whether or not women need to kind of demonstrate their, how good they are at their job or how smart they are uh, in order to get, to advance their career in any way? So my favorite example on this is, um, actually a recent television hit I did, which I won't name names, but let's just say it's a, a more conservative leaning television network <laughs> um, where the women um, tend to get made up to look a little baby dollish for their audience. Mm -hmm. And um, and I was talking about North Korea uh, with a former military analyst and um, and another, uh, another person, both were men. And um, I remember starting to talk and um, realizing that they both kind of were looking at me like, who is this woman and, and why is why is she on here? Um, and then I started um, pulling out some historical facts and, and pointing out a couple of very specific instances that related to the, the question I'd been asked. And um, watching their demeanor toward me suddenly change <laughs> in the, oh my God, this is not just some baby doll. Maybe she knows what she's talking about. Yep. Um, was a pretty a pretty like stark moment that was quite interesting to me. Um, and, you know, I think that, uh, I think if I were a man, um, 
there, there wouldn't have been any sort of doubt on their face in the first place. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, what does that mean for how we demonstrate our credibility? I mean, we, we just, we do it. Um, but I think there are different expectations and I think that there is sometimes, um, you know, you need to prove rather than disprove yourself. And Mm -hmm. I think that, um, sometimes that's not the same when it, when it comes to men, but, you know, the advice I always give to people in these kinds of scenarios is to just be yourself, believe yep. in yourself, um, know, have the confidence that you can, um, that you're there for a reason and that you can demonstrate why you're there and then just do it. Awesome. Thank you so much, Laura, for being on the show and uh, look forward to seeing you in other situations. Thank you for the opportunity. <laughs>